Oh, hi. I didn't hear you come in. Pull a little closer to the fire and pour yourself a hot beverage for me. This is episode 267 of Insert Credit and our annual asynchronous special. Not all of us could get together for the recording this week, so we're bringing you an episode with pre-recorded answers to my curated questions from all over the map. And for this one, I've invited some of our favorite guests to join us in the asynchronicity. I'm Alex Jaffe, and my hope for video games in 2023 is that they continue to make good ones. Hey, uh, I'm Frank Cifaldi, and my hope for video games in 2023 is that we finally admit we're not movies. This is very much inspired by that quote going around that um, The Last of Us Part Two is the greatest story ever told in video games. No, it's the most cinematic Hollywood story ever told in video games. Uh, it's not the best video game story in video games. Um, I would like us to start actually admitting that we're our own art form and that the way that we present ideas does not easily transfer to other mediums. But uh, uh, comics are movies now, so what do I know? Hello, I'm Brandon Sheffield, and my Video game wish for 2023 is, I'm sorry, to sell a bunch of copies of Hypergun Sport and Demon School and get rich. Uh, sorry. Hello, I'm Ash Parrish, and my hope for video games in 2023 is better black hairstyles in video games, which is actually kind of cheating because Baldur Gate 3 will officially launch in 2023, and I've already seen their character creator, and I already really like what I see. But in general, I want characters of color with more hair diversity, and I know uh, if you've never heard me before, if I've never had the opportunity uh, to pontificate about hair in video games on insert credit, it sounds really, really silly, but hair is, especially for people of color, it's a big thing. Like it's one of like a really big signifier of race, which sounds silly, but it just is like, for example, in apartheid South Africa, they would stick pencils in your hair and how easily the pencil would fall out would determine if you were black or white or their little in-between designation of colored, never call your friends colored if you can avoid it because they will probably punch you in the face. But anyway, it's it's a big deal. So I want video game character creators, I want characters of color to have more options in them. We deserve more options in them. So more than just like your, you know, afro or your fade or your close cropped hair or like big chunky cornrows that are really ugly. So yeah, that's that's what I hope for for 2023. So hopefully more than just Baldur's Gate will give us that. I'm Patrick Miller, and my hope for video games in 2023 is a true test of combative prowess, mystery chess boxing. I'm Topher Florence, and my hope for video games in 2023 is that uh, someone will take all the characters who are going to be in the public domain, you know, the Hardy Boys, Sherlock Holmes, the characters from the movie Metropolis, and uh, put them all in a video game together. That's my real hope, you know, so that Winnie the Pooh movie, you know, that horror movie took advantage of it. And I think, you know, video games can do the same thing. Winnie the Pooh's already in public domain. Uh, Bambi's in the public domain. Felix the Cat, with with conditional rules, is in the public domain, you know. It doesn't really matter if it's an adventure game or like a, a kart racer, crossover fighter. But I think it's time for regular people to start taking advantage of our uh, really terrible and exhausting and, <laughs> and way too overbearing intellectual property law. You know, so... 
use these recognizable characters in your own game. Maybe you can do it. The person listening to this right now. Hi, I'm Esper Quinn, editor of Insert Credit Show. And my video game wish for 2023 is that I get to play more of them. I'm very bad about actually doing that. Usually I just kind of watch long plays or play Magic the Gathering. I'm a, a bad gamer. Sorry. Hi, I'm Andres Velasquez-Cola. My hope for video games in 2023 is for more people to get more experimental and for more people to fund the more experimental things. I want to go back a little bit to like the late 90s, early aughts where we were getting a little bit crazy with the kind of things that we were going to actually go ahead and make. My name is Azure Laura Corrigan, and my hope for video games in 2023 is that all of the large corporate video game developers and publishers get unionized, and all the smaller indie publishers become co-ops. Because we can't keep on going on like this, people always have to come first, especially in the creative medium where the whole purpose is communication. It just doesn't make any sense for things to have the shape that they do right now. Marginalized people need more protections, and the people who are actually doing the work need to call the shots on how the work is done, or what's the point of it all. Also, I want Sega to make the Dreamcast 2, and A Skies of Arcadia 2 in honor of Rieko Kodama, just because. Oh, and for SNK to reclaim the majority of their shares from their murder prince overlord, because that sucks too. Hello, I am a semi-frequent guest contributor, Liz Ryerson, and my hope for video games in 2023 is more unions, less monopolies, and a much better situation for publishers, for indie game developers. There's a lot going on there, and most of it is not very good. I'm Kathor Jensen, and my hope for video games in 2023 is that they become not only bad, but illegal, so I can get some work done. Heyo, I'm Funke Joseph, and my hope for video games in 2023 is that they only put out one. I just want them to put out one video game, and I want it to be really good, and I want everyone to play it so we can all talk about it together. Our first question. What are the worst trends, currently or historically, in video game character design? So, this is kind of an easy answer, maybe, but I think one of the worst character design trends in video game history was the mascot platform guy right like we had this trend in the 90s immediately post sonic the hedgehog um where everyone was jumping on the mascot who jumps uh, bandwagon and and i don't just mean like newcomers and and like stuff like bubsy or whatever just even i know we like the games or whatever but sparkster and rocket knight adventure and stuff like that like the um awesome possum we we often bring up on the show like god knows what they did in in the uk um it's you know it's not something to continue being annoyed by but the question the 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 question was uh currently or historically and uh i you know i i use this term in, in in the cold open right i hate copy pasting ideas and and calling that creativity right like oh sonic is a great game that's selling a lot uh what what works about Sonic? Oh, he's a he's an animal that jumps. Let's just apply that to some other game. Um, that's that's not what makes Sonic good. Like Sonic would be good even if he weren't a hedgehog, you know. So that's why it's the worst to me. It's just coming from a very marketing driven kind of cynical uh, disrespect for video game design. There were good games though. There were good games that use math. So I guess I'm gonna leave 
Tetsuya Nomura alone today. You've heard what I have to say about that guy pretty much. I'll say the screaming face man is a trend that's pretty bad. Uh, obviously, we all complained about that in the mobile boom era, but it's still going. There's still a lot of screaming face man, and it just isn't very interesting to look at. I'm sure you're familiar with the phenomenon. Maybe someone else will be talking about it, but it was when every... It's kind of like YouTubers. Every... every uh, app image had to have a screaming reaction face, basically. Um, that, that was bad character design. And everything also got like chunky DreamWorks sized, which was n- not enjoyable. Uh, I do not miss the woman standing with her hip way out to the side trend that was there for like about 20 years, um, 70 years. I don't know how many years. Maybe it's still happening, but, um, the, uh, I'm sassy and sexy and I can kick butt just like the boys pose is, um, is no thanks. I think overall the worst trend is apathy to follow a trend rather than trying to create a new one. That's, that's the sadness. Uh, we need more jet set radio and less clash of clans. That's what I gotta say. Okay. Worst trends, uh, historically in video game character design. Okay. I'm going to probably get flack for this in the forum. Sorry. I don't read the comments anyway. So flame me all you like. Uh, sad dads. So I get it. Like dads are hot and sad people are hot. So sad dads are like chocolate and peanut butter. But at this point, it's kind of overdone. And I feel like sad dads in video games feels now like a shortcut, like the video games use them as a shortcut to pathos, like to evoke an emotion, just stick a slap a sad dad on your cover and people will like eat it up. I'm like, oh my God, game of the year. You know, and it's, it's getting a little tired. And what I would like to see is more sad moms whose sadness has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not her children is, are alive. I think video games could stand to use more moms. I know I've had uh, conversations on insert credits about video game moms. Like we're getting June uh, Kazuma back for Tekken 8. So like really happy that, you know, we're getting more mom representation in video games. And of course, my favorite mom in all the video games is Grace Walker from Wolfenstein. I'd love her to death. She's voiced by the amazing Deborah Wilson. Look her up if you've never seen her before. She is incredible. Like there's the moment in when you meet her in Wolfenstein where she's like, she's got a gun to your head and she's like, who the fuck are you, white boy? And then like later she's telling BJ like her life story about um, like the, the, the bomb that goes off in wherever she is and how she's witnessing these survivors of an atomic bomb and she's got this cigarette in her hand and she's just telling the story while her baby is like breast feeding latched to her naked titty and she, there's a cigarette in her hand and she's recounting the story with this horror on her face such that the ash runs down and burns her fingers it is an incredible moment i urge you if you have never played wolfenstein to watch it incredible moment more sad moms less sad dads design a unique custom rule set for a fighting game tournament okay um i don't know if this counts as a custom rule set but, but I, I i think it might i'm, I'm gonna do it anyway um there's an installation game designed by Keita Takahashi. I don't remember the name of it. It's in um, the last I saw it anyway. It was in uh, uh, oh, it's a pop, Mo, Mopop in, in Seattle, and 
the the concept of the game is that you're an awkward teenager that doesn't know how to control his body yet and uh there are button prompts on the screen that are like oh the purple button means like talk to the girl right and so you look down and and there's a grid of i don't know like 20 different arcade buttons that have leds under them and some of them you know at that moment are lit up purple but because the kid can't control his body um the colors just change on him. Uh, so I would like a fighting game tournament where the buttons uh, just kind of change on you as you're playing. Um, just add a little bit of chaos uh, and 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 have it where players really have to like think on their toes and and rely on on instincts and and you know even cheesing right. Like you might you might see high level. SF players starting to get kind of cheesy because if you don't know what buttons do what at any given moment, that might be kind of all you have sometimes. Um, if you're doing sort of a Hail Mary, it's just like start jump hitting with whatever whatever button you mash. Um, so I'd, li- I'd like to see a little bit of chaos like that in a fighting game tournament. And that's coming from someone who's literally never watched a fighting game tournament and probably won't ever. So um, for all I know, they do this every time. So I don't know. Unique custom rule set. Okay, here's here's my custom rule set for a fighting game tournament. No matter what the main game is, it really doesn't matter. It can be stupid old Guilty Gear that Patrick Miller loves so much. Anyone who loses in the main tournament has to play Asuka 120%. And then eventually it just becomes a huge Asuka 120% tournament. And then, and then everyone's happy. And that's the rules. Okay, bye. Chess boxing is a hybrid sport where two players play alternating rounds of speed chess and boxing, with either checkmate or knockout as viable paths to victory. Only here can the nerd and the jock fight on equal footing, but true mastery comes from seeking excellence in both the physical and mental aspects of combat. However, we live in the future, with literally hundreds of video games that seek to create simulacra of combat at various levels of abstraction and an appreciation for combat sports that extends far past slappers only. So I propose we take the concept of chess boxing and mix it with the time-honored Midwestern fighting game community tradition of Chicago's Mystery Tournament, where every round of a 256-player bracket is played on a different game that is not known to the players until they step up to play their match. In a match of mystery chess boxing, two players alternate between a round of physical combat and a round of virtual combat, but the specific physical rule set and video games to be competed in are not revealed to the players until the moment the match begins. Chess boxing, yes, but also judo starcraft, Muay Thai video ball, lucha libre gun sport. If you are interested in competing in mystery chess boxing and are in or can get to the San Francisco Bay Area, get in touch. Which three video game characters would you ask to help you move? Okay, if I'm moving, I'm calling three video game characters. Um, I think just take your pick, uh, assuming they get along. Uh, and I haven't played enough of the series to know, but uh, all Yakuza uh, protagonists, because these boys are strong as heck, and they just want to help strangers. Like, they cannot help but help strangers if the strangers are, like genuine or even at least just a little bit interesting it's just like okay like i can't imagine a side quest in a yakuza game where like someone on the street's like oh can can i talk to you for a second um i really need help moving and and i can't imagine you know kazuma or whatever like saying no like oh okay i'll help you and um that guy can throw motorcycles around by himself i guess there's some risk of 
damage to my property, but I actually think that he would be very respectful and, and diligent and, and want to do a good job. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I would, that, that's what I would do. I, I would, I would find my army, my, my tiny three person army of Yakuza characters, hope they get along and see what happens. And if they don't, it would at least be, uh, entertaining. All right. My three video game characters to help me move. We'll have Jad the Taff, because he's Taff. Crush the old order and create a new society! Big the Cat, because he's big, and he's probably also reliable. Um, but I, ca- I can't have only people with the as their middle name, so uh, the last one will be Sweet Tooth from Twisted Metal, because he's got a big enough car to fit my stuff in, and will probably drive pretty fast. So I got a, a combo of, of muscle and speed, and uh, my stuff may not make it, in one piece, but it'll get there. Which three video game characters would I ask to help me move? I think the, the the first key to moving is fitting everything together in boxes just right and getting it all organized. So I think I would have a, a Tetris genius help me with that. So I'd have T, the protagonist of uh, the Tetris mode of Puyo Puyo Tetris, the captain of the starship Tetra, uh, help me organize it, get it all sorted out. You can fit shapes into boxes very well. Uh, secondly, I, I don't want to drive anywhere or pack or unpack a truck. So I'm very lazy. So I'm sure uh, one of the Star Trek characters that helped me out will just, you know, call Scotty. Does he mean, does Scotty actually mean people? Sometimes he does. I'll call Captain Kirk. He can help me out. There's no need to bother with all the fuss of driving if you can just have somebody teleport stuff from one place to another. So that's simple. And, uh, you know, when I get there, I want to kind of unpack and Maybe move it around Sims style. I don't know if a Sims character being there would let me use like a god mode in the Sims, but you just have a psychic character do it, I guess, you know, uh, Jean Grey or Silver the Hedgehog or something like that. So that they'd take everything out. Then I could decide on how the decor looks, where I want everything without having to unpack it personally, you know, physical labor, don't want to do it. So that's it. The T, Captain Kirk, and Silver the Hedgehog. That's my three. What do you do when you're working on a game and your funding gets cut? Man, I don't know how to... I mean, <laughs> uh, I have never worked or even been in the studio working on an independent, like it's our game, that was getting outside funding. Um, I guess iDarb sort of did. But um, for the most part, my time in game development was either entirely work for hire or it was like a combination of that and 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 revenue share and and you know we've had projects like canceled on us and stuff but it wasn't i've never been in a situation where it's like we're pulling money but you can still make it if you want to so i've never had to like face that dilemma uh, i certainly had time taken away from me like oh you thought you had five months now you have four sorry um but i've never had this situation so um you know from as an outsider i I don't think there's an easy clear answer to this it's just like okay well do you actually believe this game's gonna make money you know what i mean like were you getting funding because you didn't know how to sell it and you know what i mean like it it, it's i think a lot of game development is just like i don't know if this will sell but if you want to pay for it cool and so I i think if you very genuinely believe in it and can afford to, you know, you might like try finishing it on your own, finding additional funding. I don't know. It's a hard thing to answer because there's, there's so many different scenarios here. 
uh, that I don't think anything, I don't think you can cut and paste uh, a solution onto, onto every scenario, Bubsy. So in my case, when my funding gets cut for the game I'm working on, I quit and start Necrosoft games and make my own stuff. (laughs) You've all heard the story of how a game I was working on with Square Enix got canceled. And then that was what gave me the gumption to start Necrosoft games and go out on the road for myself and do my own thing because then at least I'm in control of my own destiny. But of course, I've also gotten funding cut as Necrosoft. And in that case, then I go find some more. I should really give up on some of these games probably and cut my losses, but I never do it. And incidentally, speaking of which, a game that got canceled about five times and took about eight years, almost nine years from start to finish, not that we worked on it the whole time, Hyper Gunsport just came out. And uh, it's it's because our guaranteed revenue stream, Stadia, got cut. We didn't ship on Stadia, which made us ship two months later so that we could simul ship on everything, which made us able to be in the Nintendo House of Indie promotion around Christmas. So there's good and bad to never give a, never giving up on stuff, but you probably should you probably should give up on things sometimes. I just have a hard time when a game is is nearly there. It's like ah, but what if we what if we finished it and then five people bought it? That'd be that'd be pretty good, right? I don't know. What's the best time you've ever had with a bad game? I hate the term bad game. I mean, I I understand why we use that term, but like I have a great time with. 2D platform games that are weird and a little janky and non-traditional. And I don't know what the... Okay, I'll say the the maybe the best time I've had is I, I've now, I think, three times had people play with me through uh, Beethoven on the Super Nintendo, which is a platform game about a dog. Um, I do not think it's a bad game, but I think... You know, most people, you hand them the controller and tell them to start playing. They'll go, this is a bad game. But I think it's something where once you learn it, um, I describe it as a game with bad systems, but tremendous level design within the bad systems constraints. Um, And I I would actually describe uh, Kid Chameleon as another one like that, where it's just like, I don't I don't actually like the game mechanics or how this feels or anything, but uh, the levels that are designed uh, for this work with what they've got in a really, really interesting and, and good way. So Beethoven second, uh, real crowd pleaser. Uh, I actually mean crowd pleaser because I, 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 um, Kelsey Lewin and I at, at MAGFest 2022 had a, quote unquote panel that was just called let's try to beat Beethoven on the Super Nintendo and um there was just like a controller on a pedestal uh facing a giant screen and people lined up and took life turns and we on stage just kind of talked people through and talked about the history of the game and stuff and uh it it goes the same way every time which is at first everyone's laughing at the bad game but once you learn the mechanics and the intricacies of this game everyone's just like on the edge of their seat invested because it's it's actually a really good uh, quote unquote bad game. So Beethoven second, Super Nintendo. Look it up. Give it a shot. This is a tough one because I I feel like I'm always having a good time with bad games. So it's hard to choose the best time I've had with a bad one. Um, hmm. Probably the best time was that era when me and Frank and Chris Woodard and various other people like Matthew Kumar, uh, maybe Chris Graft would gather around a television and play bad PS2 games or GameCube games or whatever. 
It was fun to clown on them, of course, but even more fun to find out what was good about them and see like what interesting little ideas the developers were able to sneak into this licensed game about Universal Studios or whatever. Uh, they, I feel like there's a lot to learn from those games. They can be fun as long as they're boring. I mean, <laughs> the opposite. They can be super fun as long as they're not boring is the thing. Uh, but even if they are, if you've got friends with whom to pass the controller around, it can be a fun time again. So I, I feel like it's possible to have fun with any game unless it's got like a real abhorrent message or something about it is it's really socially backward. But there's always there's always some fun to be had even with the really bad stuff. So I don't know. What was what, what was the best one? I talked about London Cabin here. Love that London cab. London cab. We're driving a London cab. Something like that. I don't know. I'll see if Esper can 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 find the the amazing music. Then you'll know what I'm really talking about. Hi, Esper Quinn here again. Uh, best time I had with a bad game. Um, this is a tough question because I feel like it's inherently negative. No matter what I do, I'm kind of set up to dunk on a game. So like, I don't know. I played all of Bioshock. I played all of Bioshock Infinite. I don't really think I had a very good time with those games. Uh, the, the, the lightning shotgun in Bioshock was fun to shoot. Um, the actual, the, here, here's the answer I will give for this. Uh, I probably had a much better time making the games that I have made than anyone did playing them. Um, if you go to aceofwands.itch.io, uh, you'll be able to play Hangout in the Basement Simulator, which is not even really a video game. It's just a room that I created with some interactive elements, and I like spending time in there. It was nice to that. That's what I want out of video games. I want a hangoutable experience. I want to chill. I want to play with some things. I want to immerse myself in a vibe, and that's kind of the thing that excites me about video games. So I had a very good time making that video game, which has like a watchable TV, things like that, and you can too. Uh, but probably not as good of a time as I had. We'll be right back after a quick break. By the way, I don't think we're doing bonus content for this or whatever, but my dog sure has been barking <laughs> because uh, he, know, he knows when I'm podcasting that he's he's got to protect the house all by himself so he gets extra barky. And uh, he was just barking because... The doorbell rang to get a package. I ordered a bunch of stuff from Amazon Japan to a friend in Japan who then sent it all to me. Because, uh, as you may know, there are things that you can only get for cheap if you send them to an address in Japan. And then and then the shipping is, like, cheap or free. And then if you send it to the U.S., it's, like, 16 20 bucks per item. Anyway, that box is completely destroyed. It's got big holes in it. It's been taped around about 50 times. It's the consistency of, of a wet newspaper. I, I uh, really don't know how that stuff is going to survive the journey. So fingers crossed, everybody. Let's see what happens later. Welcome back to Insert Credit. Here's my next question. Which video game voice actors deserve wider recognition? Man, I don't know. I don't know the names of video game voice actors. Um... Oh, 
I'm going to not answer this question. I'm going to answer it in a different way, which is that um, I don't know if this ever made bonus credits or not. Um, uh, and if you don't know what bonus credit is, uh, sign up to our Patreon and get it. But um, Alex Jaffe and I were, were having a, a discussion, I think while the, the recording was going, about um, how much we like, and I don't know if she's still active, uh, Dana Delaney, uh, who played Lois Lane on the Superman animated series and probably justice league and stuff i don't know um i i just really like that person's voice and i think she could be a tremendous video game talent if she wanted to uh so that's the first thing that comes to mind for me if it's not an answer to the question at all um nothing's coming to mind for me is like a wow that was a really great video game performance that um that nobody recognized like every voice actor i can think of like jennifer hale or whatever that i was like wow this is really good like they've been recognized so um yeah uh next question next question uh we want to give voice actors more recognition i think those greedy fools have already had enough thanks very much that is a joke um this is only kind of a joke i i think that whoever did the voice for the main character of shining force 3 going Ta? Ta? whenever he does a special attack uh they deserve more recommendation uh i mean uh, recognition whatever it is you can't look them up who are they i bet they're rich now they probably did did a bunch of crypto scams and they got rich um runner up is the person who did the voice clip now bear my arctic blast in a little game called shining force 3 now bear my arctic blast uh that's who deserves more recognition goodbye which video game voice actors deserve wider recognition it's kind of interesting because i've been playing a lot of final fantasy 14 lately and i guess maybe this feels to a lot of people like oh well obviously you would say something like that you know these people you know they're got to be more famous but it's a little interesting to me because when I think of like a famous voice actor, I think a lot more of like a Matthew Mercer or like a Liam O'Brien. You can't forget, obviously, legends like Kevin Conroy, you know, you know, rest in peace. But you've got like all these people who we think of as big names uh, in the voice acting community, uh, especially out here in the West. But what they did for something like Final Fantasy fourteen, it doesn't just seem to me like they just went and they hired a bunch of British people who are also voice actors. It seems to me like they went and they hired classically trained actors. And a lot of people don't understand that there is, there's not entirely a difference, right? Voice actors are actors. And don't get me wrong. A lot of people are going to be like, oh, you're saying actor, voice actors aren't real voice actors? No, nothing to do with that. But a lot of people specialize. And it is interesting to me that what they went to do was that they went and they hired more classically trained actors for people like the voice of Uriange, who was Timothy Watson. Uh, they went and they hired uh, Robin Addison to do the voice of Yistola, you know, another classically trained actor. And these people, uh, like, they've done great, great, great work. And, like, the, the personality that they lend when lending these voices to these characters is absolutely incredible um my favorite is blake ritson i love sir americk's voice he's just the hottest voice of all time like oh my god um it's just incredible like i really do like the performance that they put out in 14 and i also like that 14 goes through such lengths to try to make sure that all the characters have a unique voice like that what's the best answer that someone in the game industry has given you to a question that you ask them or what do you wish you could ask someone in particular? I've been thinking about this one so hard and uh, having a bit of, a, of an internal crisis about it. Um, my actual job was to ask interesting people in the video game industry interesting questions for quite a long time. 
and it's just gone, man. You know, like I, I don't, I didn't retain any of that. I can't remember one interesting like interview I had with someone. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about kind of a fun interaction that I had. So I met the Cuphead guys at, at um, I think, E3, like on the streets around E3. And, and the game wasn't super famous yet. It was just kind of announced and shown, right? And it's like, oh, they're doing, they're doing you know, Fleischer-style animation. And I thought that was cool. And, and um, they kind of followed my work, too. So it was kind of a mutual on the street, like, oh, I like you. I like you, too. And uh, because I know a little bit about animation history and, uh, you know, I was able to talk a little bit on their level about what they were doing. Um, and I started talking about something I've often wanted to see, which is a video game version of what the Fleischers called a rotograph. Um, so rotograph was essentially, they, they placed a camera, uh, pointing at a, a piece of plexi with with like the animation cell on it, and behind the animation cell was a round table that rotated, where they built an actual physical diorama of the the background of the scene. Um, the most famous one that I can think of, the most famous example, would be uh, there's that that uh, Popeye cartoon where he's he's Alibaba or whatever, and and like he's walking through a cave, and there's this like really natural gorgeous parallax happening in the background because it's real because they built this multi-layered thing on a table that they rotated and uh i was kind of talking about that with the cuphead guys and they like lit up and talked about how they they actually built that virtually for cuphead because they they also wanted all they also always wanted to see that technique in a video game and and see if it looked cool and so uh yeah that was uh that was, that was a happy little moment of uh, of uh, of mutual uh, joy and respect and and creativity that that, that I liked. So let's let's go with that. Let's go with that. Unfortunately, the best answer I can think of is something that you've probably heard before. But I guess I'll just do it again. So the question wasn't very interesting. The question was, what do you think of this? When a bunch of Arc System Works people were playing the original Gunsport well before it came out at the Tokyo Game Show. And uh, they they were having an okay time, but they were they were finding it quote difficult, and by difficult they meant they couldn't figure out what to do. And one of them, who was a designer on Guilty Gear, told me that at Arc System Works um, they are always thinking about the one credit experience or the hundred yen experience, and that by the end of playing through one credit, first of all you should be intrigued to put your one credit in, but then by the end of it you should understand the basics of how to play and have some idea of how to get better. And it's a very obvious thing that makes a lot of sense. But for whatever reason, it being phrased that way at that time was very helpful to me. And we actually worked on that one credit experience quite a bit to try to simplify and streamline, make things a little more understandable. We took some made some control changes that I didn't want to make because a lot of players requested it and it was easier for them. And, you know, it was probably the right choice in the end. But I think every game that we have done has gotten closer to that one credit experience, except maybe Oh Dear, which jumps the gun by being really easy to understand because it's just a car and you drive in it. Um, but otherwise, we've been working on that. And thanks to that guy whose name I don't even know. Yep. 
It's difficult for me to say what my favorite answer might have been to a question. All of my video game stuff was years ago. As for what I might want to ask, although my brain really wants to be focusing on something like all of the women who worked on all of these video games in the 1980s and 90s that nobody knows about, because you know that the Japanese game industry in particular, it was riding basically on the backs of women for so much of the creative work, but they were never credited and mostly they're unknown now. But as for a specific person, I think I would want to talk to Kenji Ino if he were still alive. And I would want to ask him, what's missing from the human element of video games and how do you fix it? What's needed for a video game to engage the player on an individual human level and develop compassion for an unfamiliar perspective? The same as one would develop when watching a well-directed film or reading a well-written novel. Of all the game designers, past and present, I think Kenji Ino would have the most interesting perspective on this, especially considering the seeds and the condoms that he included in some of his games and games like Real Sound that are made for blind people. There's something going on with that guy and his perspective that we'll never get to the bottom of. And that's just a loss to everybody. How would you remake Indie Game the Movie today? You know, I've, n I've never seen Indie Game the Movie, and, and I don't think I have plans to. Um, but if I were... I mean, this is maybe the same question you're answer asking, right? If I were directing a documentary about making indie games today, right? Is that kind of the same question? Let's, oh, you can't answer because it's asynchronous. Cool. Let's say that's the same question. Um, I think it would be an interesting time for sure, because I think funding wise, we're in a, a, a transitionary period. I think Brandon could speak to this much more eloquently than me because I'm not really in that business anymore. But um, we're in this transitionary period of funding being more sort of platform play, right? Not not purchase play. Um, I think we're starting to even see transitions to like your funding is based on playtime and your playtime is at the whims of whether I market you or not, right? Like that to me is an interesting story. Um, I think that I would be focusing on that because I... And I mean, I would start anyway, right? Like, I, th I think if I, I don't know much about documentary filmmaking, but my suspicion uh, is that you shouldn't, you know, direct towards your preconceived notion of what the story is. You should adapt the movie to what the story becomes, right? So at least going into it, uh, I think I would start by documenting people who have been doing this successfully for a while on their own and... Uh, might be facing new uh, funding challenges in this new era and, and sort of document um, what might be the final days of, of like, you know, direct to consumer sales uh, being the primary driver of, of video game revenue. And um, oh, and I would also try to target people who go to shows and exhibit and sell merch. So I think because I think that's the story I would I would go for, right, is that funding's getting weird. People are moving away from direct purchasing and even more than ever, indie game businesses are going to be about creating IP that you can uh, sell other stuff for. 
First of all, I don't think I would remake Indie Game the movie today, but if I were to do that, I would probably just have Noclip do it. Um, that's the short answer. I think I'm more interested in seeing exposés. Uh, exposé is not the word. Um, just documentaries about the working life of individual studios than I am about pulling it together into a narrative about the the full shape of the indie game world, which I think is very difficult to do at this point. But if I were forced to do such a thing, if it was something that had to be done or else humanity would uh, perish, um, well, let's not discuss whether humanity should perish, uh, I, I would get a much wider swath of person types to talk to and listen to and get a, a better breadth of what the industry actually is because Indie Game the Movie ultimately was a very small slice of what this industry is or could represent or currently does represent um, just a bunch of white males and um, most of whom have later been revealed to be right-wing conservative whack jobs. <laughs> so uh, I would definitely give it a, a perspective shift is what I would do. I've written about Indie Game the movie before. Uh, I wrote about it when it came out, and I guess I had a more negative opinion about it than a lot of other people because I think it follows people who are very successful and known in this space, and it kind of created this image that a lot of people have followed since then. So in light of that, also because one of the cast members of the movie, the famous documentary American Movie, just died recently, um, I would like a movie about an indie game developer who let's say they were like a poster on TIG source or some other forum back on the day. And we're just going to say it's a guy here because this is indie games like circa, I don't know, 2008 to 2011. So yeah, it's a guy. And, uh, you know, he's had a game that he's been working on and he really wants to like, you know, get out there and, 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 and be as big as some, like one of the, the big, name indie developers of the era that he has a relationship so maybe he had like emailed on and off with Edmund McMillan back in the day or someone like that you know but he's just not he's just not gonna do it he's like in the middle of nowhere like he's kind of been trying to do this for years it's floundering but he's so like amped up and excited and and believing that he's like actively procrastinating he's like going to events and he uh and like just trying to like sell his game to people excitedly you know just like talking their ear off with the all these bizarre ideas and it's like he has some talent but it's just like not quite there and like let's say in king of kong like he has a run-in with like this edmund mcmillan type character i don't or it could be anybody i don't know this isn't based off of anything in particular where he gets like majorly snubbed by them you know and it's like it you know at like gdc or pax or something and this is like a profound event for him and he just like you know even in spite of the odds like you know he 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 gets it out there even in spite of working with people who are not fully qualified to make what they're making uh he gets it out there and it doesn't do much uh, but it's really just a testament to persistence and the ability to like make something even in the face of <laughs> certain failure. So I think I think that would be way more interesting of a movie, some kind of fusion of American movie and like King of Kong or something. Those are two documentaries from the 2000s that are really excellent and about 15 times better than Indie Game the Movie. Which modern video game would be the best introduction to video games for a child? There's a wide age range of what a child is, Alex Jaffe. Uh, 
I so how old is this kid? How old is this theoretical kid? That's going to change the answer, but I'm just going to target basic reading age, right? So like let's say 7, 8, something like that. Like you're you're basically a person when you're 8. I have talked we have I should say talked about this game I think multiple times on this show, but uh I declared that a game uh called A Slow Hike might be like a perfect video game and I actually think that um a young child would thrive playing this game. One who is able to, who has good like reading comprehension, right? Like, uh, and I don't mean like the language is hard. The language is very simple and direct, which is one of the the many things I like about this game. Uh, it's just the the comprehension of like, oh, this means that they want me to go do this thing, so I should go figure out how to do that thing. I think that the game's sort of lack of fail states um, are good to make sure people don't get frustrated. I think. Um, kids like exploring and there's so much to explore in this game uh the game kind of lets you do what you want but also there's a clear goal uh it's easy to control everything's very nicely explained to you um it's just a very friendly onboarding game i think for someone of any age so i don't know eight and up uh i would i would go uh for a short hike and then uh below that i think uh resident evil village Modern video games for children. Children do not deserve video games. Maybe uh, when they get a job, they can have one. You ever think about that? Grow up, get a job. Uh, anyway, the real answer is any mainline Nintendo game would be fine. Just give them a Mario. I don't know, whatever. Uh, they'll probably have a good time. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm. Am I concerned with this child's development? Am I trying to teach them something with this game? I don't think so. They just want to have a good time. I don't know, give them Hyrule Warriors, let them swing a sword around, whatever. I think a good answer to this question is probably Hohokam, which was originally released on the PS3, but I consider that modern enough because I'm an old man. It's something with a very simple control scheme, very bright and accessible graphics, no fail state. It's kind of a way to understand being in a digital environment without any stress to go around it. And it's nonviolent, which is something I care about for children, but not for the rest of society. What's the difference between a good video game and a cool video game? Oh, this is a really good question. Like, that doesn't mean I have a good answer, but that's a really good question. Um, Because I think that there are games that are like, I don't know, it's like art house cinema or something, right? Like, um, it's like, oh, that's a good movie. I don't know if it's a cool movie. I don't want to hang out with this movie, but like, I am uh, uh, fulfilled in my soul by having experienced this movie no game has ever done that in video game history yet um but no i'm kidding uh i think there's plenty of cool games that aren't good and uh i mean we we talk about the the mythical like seven out of ten being the insert credit game you know those aren't i guess those are maybe good not great right because we didn't say great but um i think the difference might be that a cool game um that isn't good has flaws that are celebrated. I think traditionally when we say good, you can find flaws in anything, right? But for the most part, I think what we've collectively adopted as as a term, the term good for a game means something that um, where its flaws are are kind of hard to find, right? Like you kind of have to squint to find the flaws. And I think a cool game, uh, you know, I don't know if there's a flawless cool game, actually. That's an interesting question in itself. Like, can a flawless game be cool? Um, I don't think flawless people are cool. So I suspect that's true of games as well. Think about it. Think about it. 
Okay, so a good video game plays well, has solid mechanics, and makes you think about the world at large, perhaps the world beyond the video game even. And a cool video game is like that, except the protagonist is wearing a leather jacket and sunglasses. The difference between a good video game and a cool video game is pretty simple. Every cool video game has Sonic in it, and every good video game doesn't have Sonic in it. This week we're going to be combining the lightning round and our recommendation segment. Recommend one video game our listeners should try that they maybe haven't played in 30 seconds. Okay, I'm going really obscure on this. Um, If you are someone who plays Famicom slash NES games, um, especially on an emulator because this is a weird mapper situation, you cannot buy a cartridge. Uh, Look up a game called Magic Kid Goo Goo. Uh, This is Korean developed by people who are first time on the system figuring stuff out and uh, incredibly ambitious and weird with with uh, Mario 2 like mechanics that uh, uh, don't make sense and uh, and a weird RPG upgrade system. Go. So Jaffe says the prompt is recommend one video game our listeners should try that they probably haven't in 30 seconds. Pretty much only Half Minute Hero fits that description, right? I mean, what other games can you play? In 30 seconds. Uh, no, actually, my real answer is Quo Vadis 2 on the Saturn. It's a RTS, squad-based, with pseudo-3D elements, really excellent animated cutscenes and a decent story, and a lot of unique ideas. It's great. Okay, a little update on my package situation. Uh, despite having a giant hole in it that anything could have fallen out of because it was about six inches wide... <laughs> and having having a, a flimsy piece of tape over that um the all my stuff appears to have arrived intact so i got myself like a big boy uh holiday xmas birthday <laughs> present for myself which is just tons tons of stuff where i get i got i got multiple albums by Gwinko, uh aka ginko from she's a pop singer from okinawa that's pretty cool i got uh, the album after five clash from Katamatsu. Um, I got Ritsuko Kurosawa, a couple albums from her. I got some Miho Nakayama albums, hot stuff. I got some video games. I got Ore no Ryori, which Tim keeps talking about. Um, I got, I got, I don't know, uh, Tori no Hoshi, Aerial Planet, they call it. Um, I got It's Friday by Jados, which is a hard to find album these days. Um, I got the Adventure of Little Ralph, because it was like half the price you usually see it for you, and it's very expensive these days. It came with a little handwritten note. And uh, amazingly, I swear that I did not plan this, um, I forgot that I bought the guidebook for Quo Vadis 2, which is the game that I said that people should play. And uh, it arrived while I was doing that segment, and now I have the guidebook for Quo Vadis 2. That was, that was not planned. It naturally occurred. Anyway, happy everything to me. I got a bunch of cool little stuff. There's a, there's a Kirby Frisbee in here for some reason. Why didn't I think of that? Well, I don't I don't own Kirby. That wouldn't help me to think of that. But Kirby Frisbee, good idea. Anyway, it's okay. I got my stuff. Okay, I got a little, little more stuff to talk to you about later. So stay tuned. Okay, one video game in 30 seconds that you probably haven't played. Uh, this is more of a watch and a play recommendation. I'm going to recommend Pepsi Man. It is a Japanese developed uh, video game for the PlayStation. I believe it's like 2000, 2001. It's like an obstacle runner, like uh, Crash Bandicoot, like Crash Bandicoot levels where you're playing as the Japanese mascot for Pepsi, Pepsi Man, where you have to like run through the streets of Tokyo and avoid getting hit by cars and stuff like that. It's a, an incredibly quirky game. You'll probably love it. All 
also for the watch recommendation part of that, they've done a couple of speed runs at GDQ of this game. They're hilarious. You should check it out. And that's my 30 second video game recommendation. Just to sign off, you know, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy New Year. Be good to yourself and be good to others unless those others are Elon Musk, in which case you should punch them in the face. Bye, everybody. See you in the new year. As a game developer, I have a rule. No gotcha allowed in the house. I had to amend this rule to no paying for gotcha allowed in the house, as I have been mashing on Nikkei Goddess of Victory for the last month or so. Beneath the anime babes with jiggling butts is a fun time hanging out with a bunch of woman-shaped war robots. I highly recommend. I'd recommend checking out uh, Chair Chaser. It's a 2002 racing game. So it's a Japanese game for PC. It's about uh, people trying to become the CEO of a company, a furniture company, by doing chair races. You're literally uh, zipping around the hallways, propelling yourself on your feet. You know, it's like it's got Mario Kart style bombs and shields and stuff. It's very weird. It's good. It's uh, the vibes are immaculate. It's, a, it's from like it's a student game from like the Konami Game School. And um, you can play as this penguin mascot with the weird wacky freaky long arms. It's got a little Y2K flavor because it, you know, it's literally from 2002 It'll remind you of the old uh, PSX games, you know, like Incredible Crisis or Don't Look Stop Mr. Domino, those kind of things. So very enjoyable. Very good stuff. Chair Chaser. Look up a playthrough. You can download it from archive.org. It's very fun stuff. Check it out. I pre-wrote this so I could hit 30 seconds exactly. As mentioned, I only play Magic the Gathering Arena and Final Fantasy with any regularity, and I wouldn't recommend either of those. Those are addictions. What I do like doing is playing up to five hours of a game and letting myself off the hook if I think that's good enough. The most fun I've had doing that recently was in Gravity Rush, which once you figure out how to properly maneuver in 3D space, you get to do a lot of fun pseudo-flying. It's on that PlayStation equivalent of Game Pass. You know, there is a video game that I've been playing a whole lot of that I wish more people would play, and the easy answer here would be to tell you, hey, go play King of Fighters 15. No, go play Windjammers 2. Windjammers 2 is excellent. It is a revival of a classic with a bunch of new mechanics that are very, very interesting. It's great fun to play against one of your friends. Just sit down, pop that open, and start slinging discs at each other. Go play Windjammers 2. If you play more Windjammers 2, they'll start doing things like adding spectator lobbies and all this other stuff, and then it will be a lot easier to run tournaments and play with your friends and stream it. Go play Windjammers 2. I want to play Windjammers 2. Thank you. I've noticed the master system seems to be a big unknown territory for most people. So I'm going to suggest that you play Ghost House. It's got music by Hiroshi Kawaguchi, the fella behind Outrun and Space Harrier and Sword of Vermilion, Fantasy Zone. And it really lends a great spooky atmosphere to this game. It kind of plays like Konami's first Goonies game for the Famicom. They never made it over here except on the Versus system in the arcade. The controls are a little bit wonky, the buttons are reversed, there are a lot of mechanics are just, you have to play the game to figure them out. There are secret passages all over the place, there are secret tricks, and then the game pretty much just moves on a loop every three levels. But it's a real vibe, and it's worth experiencing. 
Uh, so my couple recommendations. So I'm going to start with one that is not particularly a good game, uh, but I think it is extremely interesting and it regularly goes on sale for like $2. It's called Soul Axiom. I did an episode on my old podcast, The Blood Zone, about it. That's all I'm going to say about it. If you want to play something that's not necessarily good, but uh, it's something, it's very ambitious, uh, certainly. Uh, yeah, check that out. And then the other game is called Ernog Ernog limited a uh, very strange pronunciation presumably it will be spelled out in the show notes but yes this is a game by niflas who made um, knit stories and a bunch of other things and this game just kind of went under the radar it's a really inventive and interesting 2d platformer sort of in the uh in the realm of like super mario brothers 2 but if the concept was like taken further for you picking up and rearranging items it's not perfect but it's like really unique and i still even though it came out in 2017 i still haven't played anything else like it and i have no idea why it's not more well known so yeah i think beat-em-ups get a bad rap so a game that i'd recommend people play if they haven't is guardians denjin makai 2 which was only released in japan but obviously that's no obstacle to anybody it's an incredibly fast-paced final fight-esque brawler with all of the things you really want in those games varied attacks lots of mobility the ability to dash vertically, which most of these games don't give you. There's just so much you can do in this game, and it's so fast-moving and free-flowing like free flowing, that it's really worth a play, even if you've written off the genre. My sleeper hit recommendation is Bloons Tower Defense 6, which is a light tactics game where you play as a bunch of monkeys defending their bananas from angry balloons that uh, come in very different styles and sizes. I love this game because it's so easy to pick up, and you can really... Just if, if, if you crave something to do while you're doing something else, you're in a meeting, you're talking, you're just chilling at your computer, but you don't really want to do too much, this is the game to play. It soothes that ADHD brain I have, and I think it'll be fun for everyone else. Pop those balloons. I'd like to thank all the guests this week and our panelists, and thank you for listening to our weird opinionated show about video games. If you're listening to Insert Credit in some format where you can subscribe to or review podcasts, please, it would help us a lot if you did that. You can also support us on Patreon.com slash Insert Credit, where you could become a patron to submit your own topics, listen to monthly bonus episodes, and get other exclusive content. You can also join our community at forums.insertcredit.com or look for Insert Credit on YouTube. This show is edited by Esper Quinn with original music by Kurt Feldman. I'm Alex Jaffe. I'm Frank Cifaldi. I'm Brandon Sheffield. I'm Ash Parrish. I'm Patrick Miller. I'm Topher Florence. I'm Esper Quinn. Wahoo. I'm Andres Velasquez. I'm Azure Laura Gwendolyn Corrigan. My name is Liz Ryerson. I'm Kathor Jensen. I'm Funke Joseph. And Happy New Year! Well, it is the holidays of some sort or another, and I have a little extra special treat for y'all. Casey Yonao, who you may know from composing soundtracks like Mad Stalker, Full Metal Force, or Asuka 120%, which, which uh, is a game you may have heard me bring up once or twice before in, in, in the world. One of the greatest composers has made a new song, or I guess an arrangement of a song that he did in 1994 on the Sharp 68000. It's a Christmas song 
I know this is a secular podcast, but um, I mean, it, it comes from the land where Christmas exists largely in malls. So like, th- th- this is like Dogs, Dogs Bowser, is that his name? In, um, in Blue Stinger for the Dreamcast wearing a Santa hat. I'm going to take a bath. Nothing's going to stop me. It's, it's, it's that level of, of that. So, so don't worry about it. Okay. Don't worry about it. But I've gotten permission from him to play this song in its entirety on the podcast. It's the only time I've ever liked this song. (laughs) It sounds real good. So give it a listen. Enjoy. Have a nice break. If you're able to have a break, I hope you can take care of yourselves, pat your pets on the head, tell your families what's up. If you like them, Uh, tell your friends what's up. If you like them. Uh, bye forever. Uh, crap. I forgot to tell you, um, that you should follow KCO now on various social networking services on Twitter. He's at yo now, Y O N A O and soundcloud.com slash yo now. Same word. Uh, check that stuff out. You, you can listen to the entire mad stalker soundtrack on X 68 K. It's pretty cool. And you can listen to my dog bark right now.